A reading from the book of Exodus chapter 40. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. This Moses did, according to all that the Lord commanded him, so he did. In the first month in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle. He laid its bases and set up its frames and put in its poles and raised up its pillars. And he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent over it, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it into the ark and put the poles on the ark and set the mercy seat above on the above on the ark and he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the screen and screened the ark of the testimony as the lord had commanded moses he put the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil and arranged the bread on it before the lord as the lord had commanded moses he put the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the golden altar in the tent of meeting before the veil and burned fragrant incense on it, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put in place a screen for the door of the tabernacle, and he set the altar of burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered on it the burnt offering and the grain offering, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar, and put water in it for washing, with which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. When they went into the tent of meeting, and when they approached the altar, they washed as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar, and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. My name is Crawford Stevener. I'm the RUF campus minister at Stanford, and it's a delight to be preaching here this morning. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are the one true and living God who have gathered your people together this morning for worship. We ask that you will do what you promised to do when your word is read and preached, and that is that your word would not come back to you empty or void, but that it would accomplish its purpose. So we ask by your grace that you would have your way with us this morning. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Uh, It's November 6th. Uh, which means Halloween is behind us, and I've been told on good authority that all of the best Christmas decorations at Marshall's are sold out. So if you're looking for a good deal, I'm sorry, you've missed your chance. It might feel a bit early for some of you to be thinking about Christmas. Uh, Some of you sticklers about no Christmas music till after Thanksgiving might be a little, um, you know, put off this morning. But this morning we're looking at kind of uh, an Advent teaser. We're looking at a little preview of 
of what is to come here at Grace Church when we celebrate the Advent season as we anticipate uh, the coming of Jesus uh, at Christmas when we're looking at the tabernacle. Uh, And I'm going to make that really clear later this morning. So the scene of the building of the tabernacle is what we just read from the last book, uh, from the last chapter uh, in the book of Exodus, which is the second chapter, second, second book of the Old Testament. And it always reminds me of this iconic scene from an iconic Christmas movie uh, that uh, was a favorite of mine uh, in my youth. I'm not recommending it to you this morning, but it would star Chevy Chase, the king of 1980s comedy, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Now, if you haven't seen this movie, uh, Chevy Chase is a, is a suburban dad in Chicago, and he invites the whole family over to his house for Christmas. And he wants it to be the the perfect Christmas. And so he spends all this money and all this time setting up Christmas decorations all over his Chicago home. So he's up there on top of the roof on this two-story home, staple gunning what we find out later are 25,000 sparkling Christmas lights to the top of the Griswold family Christmas home. And there's this scene where he invites everybody out after he's finished his work and he has these two his extension cord and the plug here. And he asks the family to give a drum roll and everyone's excited. And he goes like this and he sticks them together and nothing happens. And he loses his cool and the the movie goes on. And later his mother comes and flips on a a light switch that's a breaker in the garage. And all the Christmas lights come on and all the glory and the whole neighborhood gets to see the the tacky glow of the Griswold family Christmas um, house. So, So why do I tell you this story? We just read in the last chapter of the book of Exodus... Uh, the conclusion of what were 15 chapters of a discussion of intricate details of the construction of God's house, of God's dwelling place, of God's tabernacle, which in effect was a portable tent where God's presence would reside. And if you don't know anything about the book of Exodus, we've kind of, we're kind of doing a sprint through it this morning as we take a, a brief pause in 1 John. Uh, it's a literary masterpiece. It begins in the opening scene of, of God's people crying out and groaning for rescue from slavery and bondage. And God raises up a deliverer in the person Moses, and he sends plagues on the Egyptians. He, through these mighty acts, delivers his people from bondage. He, he parts the Red Sea, and, and God's people escape the Egyptian army by walking through the sea. He later feeds them in the wilderness with miraculous manna from heaven. He thunders his laws out from this holy mountain on top of Mount Sinai. And all of this happens, but something is still missing by the end of the book of Exodus. In God's great story of rescue and redemption, the climax and the crescendo is still yet to come. The lights still weren't flipped on. The breaker wasn't flipped. Something was missing after all of this. And that something was a someone. And that's what we see in verses 34 and 35 of our passage this morning, which describes the glory of God coming down from the mountain, descending in a cloud, into the tabernacle. Now this is highly significant for us because the real point of the book of Exodus is revealed in chapter 40, the last chapter of the book, after 
all these amazing, powerful, redemptive, salvific events, we still don't have the main thing. What's the main thing? God himself dwelling in the midst of his people. That is what's described as the crescendo of the book of Exodus. God with his people is the point of the story. And God with his people is the point of our story too. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. Three things from Exodus chapter 40. First, God's majesty, the details of the tabernacle. Second, God with us, the purpose of the tabernacle. And third, God's coming, the fulfillment of the tabernacle in the coming of Jesus. So first, why all the details of the tabernacle? Well, it shows us that God is holy and majestic and totally apart and above uh, his created world. Most of the the final 15 chapters of, of Exodus, which is a long book, are not comprised of stories, but they are these detailed instructions about the building of this particular tent. And here in the final chapter uh, describes Moses actually putting the thing together, actually constructing and building the tent. And the refrain over and over again is, as the Lord commanded Moses. I don't know if you caught this while Chelsea was reading it, but if you were a student and you were in class doing some sort of literary analysis on this text, you'd be circling this repetitive phrase over and over and over again. Seven times in one paragraph, it says, the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses. And we'd be asking ourselves, what do we think this text is trying to tell us? And with this refrain, what we see is the particular instructions actually matter a great deal because they matter a great deal to God. Why? Why why does God want these specifications in this perfect and particular way? Well, here's why. Because God is going to live there. God is going to live in this tent, and so it has to be done just right. I don't know if you've ever done a a kitchen remodel or you've done some sort of renovation of a place where you were going to be living, or maybe for those of you who are moving apartments, you've, you've studied closely the floor plan and looking at exactly how the layout would look for you and how you would, how you would live in that place. Um, I remember looking over a blueprint of a home that uh, Rachel and I were living in in North Carolina um, before moving to California and agonizing over whether or not we could move an outlet 18 inches down the wall or whether or not we could put an outlet in the closet so we could plug our printer into it because the space was tight, even on the East Coast. Um, And this was a starter home for a pastor in North Carolina. Can you imagine the attention to detail needed for a blueprint for someone far more significant, for a renovation of the White House? Or now imagine that you're building something where the holy God of the universe would live in the majestic king of kings. So these great detailed instructions that when when you're trying to read through your Bible in a year plan, like that's coming up in January for some of you that that try this every year and you make it to this part of the the Old Testament, you're like, man, this is another chapter on putting up the tent and putting up the instruction. There's a screen. You're kind of thinking, what's the point of this? Well, if you look carefully, the, the, the point is really clear. In the broadest of brushstrokes, it's showing that the transcendent, glorious, set-apart God of the Bible is coming down. 
the curtains, the sacrifices, the, the great symbolic imagery with the veils and the screens and the lampstands and the basins for washing, the testimony, which is, describes God's law, put inside the Ark of the Covenant behind a screen. I mean, all of this in great detail is showing that this is no ordinary dwelling place. The occupant of this tent was someone to be revered, someone worthy of of great worship and dignity and honor. And while it can be tedious reading through these instructions in the Bible, the point becomes clear. The Holy One of Israel is coming into the camp. God has been living on top of a mountain, Mount Sinai. His glory cloud has been enveloping it, and he's been thundering out his holy law. And now it's time for the transcendent God to come near among his people. And I just, I want you to see the beauty of this because the God of the Bible is different than all other gods. The God of the Bible is both awesome and holy and transcendent and majestic, but he's not just that. That sort of God, that sort of God of raw power is featured in a lot of world religions. Uh, the booming god of a volcano, the powerful god of the sea, uh, the, the god of the sun that, that is up in the sky and gives, gives light to everything uh, underneath it. But the god of the Bible is not just this great and glorious god that is powerful and high above. But the god of the Bible is also the god who draws near. So he's told Moses these specific instructions to prepare a place so that he could come down that he could stoop low off of his holy mountain and move among his people in the camp. And this is why we get all these detailed dimensions for where God wants to live. And it's fascinating that where God wants to live in the book of Exodus is not a palace, but it's a tent. Why does the God of the universe want to live in a tabernacle? That gets to the second point. What's the purpose? What's the purpose of this tabernacle at the end of the book of Exodus? Well, uh, if the transcendent, glorious God of the universe was, was going to come down and get a house, you would think that it would be a house like Buckingham Palace or Hearst Castle or some magnificent estate with lots of rooms and, and, a, and a beautiful you know, outdoor living space. But uh, the God of the Bible chooses a portable tent. Now think about this. If you could pick... Anywhere in the world that you wanted to live. If you could create your, you know, place where you could live. If you were the king of the world, what would it be? A palace or a tent? Uh, interestingly, my, my children like to talk about their dream homes uh, around the breakfast table sometimes. And I've got four little girls. And so a lot of times their dream homes are like pink with some glitter and sparkles and maybe a little purple, uh, you know, sprinkled in there. And they're usually, you know right next door to each other so they can come out and play together. Now, uh, when you think about a dream home, it reveals who you are and what you value. If you could create a space for you you to live in. Um, This is what God is showing us in the construction of the tabernacle. It's revealing who he is, what his priorities are, and what he's about. Yes, he's holy. Yes, he's majestic. Yes, he's the king of kings. But God is a friend of a people. He is the friend of sinners, and he is constructing a space so that he can come down and be with us. Here in the book of Exodus, God is choosing a tent over a palace because tents are portable. 
And God's people are on the move. And God, as the leader and deliverer of his people, is not stationed somewhere far away, but he is moving with his people in their wilderness journey. This is what the text says in verses 36 and 37. When, when the holy cloud lifts up, the people go and follow. When the holy cloud stays down, the people stay. Now, a couple chapters earlier, in chapter 33, there's this point in the story of Exodus that we didn't read this morning. After God's people had turned their back on God, they'd worshipped the, a golden calf. Some of you know the story. And right after this kind of epic fail of God's people, this idolatrous worship moment, God says, you can still go to the promised land, but I'm no longer coming with you. And the people are horrified. And the reason is, is that God's people actually in this moment are starting to begin to realize the whole point of it all. This, this whole idea of journeying towards this distant promised land this destination that they were headed to that has all this nice stuff, these earthly blessings, this land that is flowing with milk and honey, that all of that, apart from the presence of God, is nothing. So God and Moses have this meeting in the story. Repentance happens and God is gracious towards his people and and says that he will continue to journey with his people, which leads us to where we are in Exodus 40. And this is something that I want us to consider this morning. Us who, we are people who like to think about our future, our plans, our next steps. And what I want you to see from Exodus 40, that simply arriving at your desired destination is not the secret of the universe. All kinds of things in our world will signal to us that if we have the right job, if we have the right family, if we have the right neighborhood, if our, if our kids are in the right space, if our career is going in the right direction, if we hit all the check marks, if we travel to the right places, if we hit all our waypoints, then we're going to be good. And we think if we can kind of carefully craft the blueprint of our lives, things are going to work out. But here's the thing. As the Israelites in our story face the the reality of the wilderness, which you and I know all too well, the mundaneness of daily life, the monotony, some of the frustrating and scary aspects of not knowing what tomorrow might bring. As God's people wandered in the wilderness, it's, it's really important to see, according to the book of Exodus, the promised land was not the answer. The destination, the stuff, the accomplishments was not the answer to their grumbling, to their soul ache, to their problems. God with us was the answer. Do you see this in Exodus 40? The point of life is not to get to the finish line, but to be with God, the God who made you and who loves you. Now, some of you are here this morning and you feel like, You're wandering in the wilderness. And I want you to find encouragement here Then, rather than just sort of closing your eyes and holding your breath and just hoping that the hard thing goes away, or rather than outmaneuvering all of the problems in your life, running yourself ragged, what if you remembered afresh and anew this morning that the God of the Bible draws near to you in your moments of greatest distress? 
There's these letters that survive from some British sailors a couple centuries ago. And they're in a particular difficult uh, journey, and it's not going well, and uh, they write home to their wives. And this particular um, group of sailors were with a very highly respected leader, Admiral Nelson. And one of these sailors' letters has survived, and it says this. We are half-starved and otherwise inconvenienced by being so long out of port, but our reward is that we are with Admiral Nelson. That in the moment of pain, fear, and even facing lost at sea and starvation, they were with their beloved admiral. Now, this is like the Israelites who are wandering in the desert. They don't know what tomorrow will bring. But you know what? They're with God. Or perhaps better stated, God is with them. And this is hugely significant for us. The happy ending at the book of Exodus is not that God ends the wilderness wanderings and gets them to the promised land. That happens way later in the Old Testament. In Exodus 40, God hasn't gotten them there yet. But the book ends in this climactic crescendo of God revealing himself to his people, saying that that in the misery or the monotony or the frustrating aspects of your life, I am with you. The God of Exodus is the God who says, I am with you while you wander. We need to stop and let that sink in a little bit. The God of the Bible loves his people so much that he is with us through our ups and our downs. And this is what the whole book of Exodus has been leading to. All that God has done for his people was for what purpose? To love them, to draw near to them, and to live with them. Do you know this about the Lord? That God wants more than just to save and deliver and rescue you from your sins, but that he actually wants a relationship with you. He wants to do life with you. He wants to be with you every step of the journey. Now, the book of Exodus in the Old Testament kind of serves as an appetizer for the main course of the gospel that is revealed in Jesus Christ. The the whole point of the tabernacle stuff at the end of Exodus 40 is actually pointing us forward to the person of Jesus, which is our third point. The tabernacle is fulfilled in Jesus. I mean, think about it. A holy God coming down from the heights to live among his people. Does this sound familiar? We talked about Christmas movies at the beginning. This is the real story of Christmas. God coming down in Jesus in a manger in Bethlehem. This is the way that John, uh, the author of 1 John that we've been studying here at Grace, if you've been here the last several weeks, um, this is the way that John introduces Jesus in the Gospel of John that he also wrote. And he uses the language of the tabernacle. Now, of all the ways that that John could have told people who Jesus is and and what he's come to do. This is how he begins in John chapter 1, verse 14. He says, and the word, which which is Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. He says, and the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Is the, is the meaning of the Greek word skeneo, which is translated dwelt among us. So John says, the word became flesh and made a tent among us. And we have seen his glory. And what John is doing is he's using the, the tabernacle imagery 
of the Old Testament and saying, this is what Jesus has come to do. Finally and fully, God has come near because this is who God is. He is the God that comes near. At first it was in a tent, and then it was in a more stable temple when God's people were settled in Jerusalem. And now he's come in Jesus. That Jesus is the fulfillment of the whole story of the Old Testament. All the rules and all the regulations of of approaching a holy God All the things that we read about, the the Ark of the Covenant, the curtains, the screens. I mean, you remember at the end of the Gospels when Jesus is is crucified on the cross, the temple, the, the curtain of the temple is ripped in half as he cries, it is finished because he has fulfilled all of the rules and regulations of what it looks like for God's people to dwell with God again. So where is God now? We don't have a tabernacle. We don't have a temple. We don't have a big glory cloud that comes upon us every morning. Where is his presence? Jesus isn't here anymore. He's ascended back into heaven. Well, after Jesus' resurrection, the Bible says he pours out his Holy Spirit upon his church. And God tabernacles in us by his Holy Spirit. And you and I are called temples of the living God because we are indwelled by God the Spirit. So friends, I want you to see this morning from the shadowy story of Exodus chapter 40 that the point of the universe is God with his people. The whole story of the Bible ends this way. I mentioned John picking up the tabernacle language in his gospel. He returns to it again in the Revelation. It's also written by John. Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, the Apostle John is describing the the end of the world, and he, he tells this vision. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. Do you see it? What is so special about our final destination is not the stuff that's there, but it's the God who is there. God with us. God with his people. So what do we do with this kind of study of the tabernacle as we jump into Exodus and we run through the scriptures and we see the way that the Bible is talking about this? Well, I want you to leave here thinking this morning that the story of Exodus is the story of the church. That as we wander... And as we journey, and as we struggle, as you face pain or brokenness or boredom even, uh, I want you to know that God is with you in your journey. I began this uh, sermon this morning talking about the character Clark Griswold setting up 25,000 twinkling Christmas lights on his roof in futility in suburban Chicago um, because the breaker wasn't switched on, didn't work, something was off. I want you to consider this morning, are you the type of person who has gone over the extensive blueprints of your life? Does it all look okay on paper? Is everything in the right spot? You got everything you sort of wanted and wished for, but something just doesn't feel quite right. Maybe something just feels a little off. You have the career you wanted, the relationship you wanted, everything seems like it should be great, but there's a vital piece missing like someone just tossed you the keys to an electric car, but the battery doesn't work. Do you get the feeling you're missing something? Well, Exodus 40 shows 
that God, without God in his glory in our midst, we've missed the point of the journey. Do not miss it today. The majestic, holy God of the universe has come down to you in Jesus to live among us. And this is good news for us. This is good news for those of us who feel like we're wandering or in the wilderness. God coming into the camp is the climax of the story because it reveals his heart. Jesus has not just come to rescue you and set you free, but he has come to live with you. And so as we walk this wandering journey, fraught with disappointments or setbacks, victories, failures, we need to remember God is with us. The point of life is not simply to finish, to reach the destination, to make it to the finish line. The point of life is to be with God, and he has come near us in Jesus. So follow him today. Behold his glory. Trust him as you walk by faith and take your next steps. Because anything else will leave you empty, even if you reach your supposed destination. Let me pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray that you will... Um, Show us the reality of this truth that you are not a God who remained distant, but you stooped low in Jesus. And that you have come alongside us and you've promised to never leave us and never forsake us. And you've given us your spirit. So I pray that you will be with your church this morning as we face um, trials, difficulties, Many of us in this room um, coming into the sanctuary this morning feeling burdened or heavy. I pray that we'll feel afresh and anew the presence of Jesus in our midst. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.